Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. everybody doing? Yeah? All right. I believe you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them you're glad you get a sip by him today? Turn to your, your second choice and let them know you're not that bad. I, um, oh, man. It's, I'm, I'm excited. We're jumping into a new uh, series here. If, if you haven't been around Celebration Long, uh, the way we, we preach is we preach in sort of collections of messages, and so sometimes that'll be a topic where we'll take like a topic in the Bible, whether that's joy or repentance or forgiveness or uh, whatever it might be, and we'll, we'll kind of sit in a topic, and sometimes we'll take a book study, and we'll go through a book of the Bible. Sometimes we'll take a character in the Bible and just go through the life of that character. And, uh, and you showed up on a great Sunday because we're jumping into a brand new book study, and we're going to go, it's actually going to be the longest series I've ever done. And um, so it's going to be hard for this, uh, th- this sh- sh- short attention span person to, uh, it's going to be fun. We're, we're jumping into a whole series, <laughs> a whole collection of messages out of um, a, a book of the Bible that is the, the most banned book of the Bible. If you didn't know it, uh, the Bible is actually the most banned book in the world. Uh, th- there's more governments that have, have restricted the Bible than any other book. And, uh, and now we're going to look at a book of the Bible that that book of the Bible has been banned. Uh, in, in many ways, I would say, like, uh, for, for instance, in, in, in the Jewish world, because it's an Old Testament book, uh, r- rabbis didn't allow uh, women to read it. They certainly didn't allow young boys to read it until they were 13 in fact, a, a large contingent of rabbis wouldn't allow men to read the Bible or read to read this book of the Bible until they were married. So you weren't allowed to read it until uh, you, you had some life experience under your belt. Amen. And um, uh, I would say even the Christian world has banned this book. Uh, Martin Luther believed it should be removed from the canon of Scripture. Um, the and even when, when Christians do use this book of the Bible, they usually make it a, a metaphor for uh, the love of God towards us, uh, rather than just taking it for face value. Uh, it, 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 face value is much different than that. And so we're going to jump into it. You guys ready? We're going into the book of the Song of Solomon. Sound bad. And um, so you may be looking at the screen behind me, and you're thinking, why are we talking about sex at a church? And I think the answer is that Jesus talked about real life and real pains. 
Jesus talked about life where it actually, where we actually lived our lives. And the second reason why we're going to be talking about sex is because um, I've been doing this a long time. And um, I would say in all my years of ministry, there's really two areas where I find that it's just like very frequent when I, when I sit with someone to counsel with them. There, there's usually two areas where the most pain shows up in people's lives. One is finances. Lots of pain around money, around finances, how we handle it, how we, what we do with it. And the other area is sexuality. And I, I think it is no coincidence that the greatest pains that we experience in life are around money and around sex, and yet the world wants to stifle the church from talking about either one. Preach whatever you want, preacher, just don't be talking about money, or we're going to say that you're all about money. Preach whatever you want, preacher, just don't talk about sex, because that's inappropriate. But you bought your child an iPhone. So we better talk about it. We better talk about it. You might be in the room, and you might think, well, I, I don't know if this is a good thing for my junior hire that's in the room right now. And I'll just tell you, um, I, I, I love your child. They're probably the most innocent child that's in the room. <laughs> they, mo- they, they know more than you know. They know more than you think they know. And... Um, and I would say this, let's, let's, instead of waiting and letting the locker room teach them, instead of waiting and letting some other kid in the playground teach them, instead of waiting and letting social media teach your child about sexuality, let's go to the Word of God because there's an entire book of the Bible that's intended to show us what good human sexuality should look like. So that's, that's what we're doing. Um, and if you're uncomfortable, I'm sorry. I... I uh, I just think the church uh, really makes itself irrelevant by talking about irrelevant things. And, uh, and the truth is, is that the most impactful way that many of us have experienced the real brokenness of our world at deep levels is in this area of sexuality. Um, <clears throat> so, in fact, my question to you would be this. Like, like if this is the area... Uh, uh, gonna, yeah, we got... I'm sorry... I'm sorry. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have we have a guy that comes to first service and he has Bluetooth in his ear and sometimes he'll answer this he'll answer this the phone while I'm right, like he's answer, he's answering it right there. Uh, it's funny. It's super funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't. Uh, Jesus, make the ADD go away. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All together now. Hey, I was at, I was, we were at a conference one time. Uh, we were in Portland. It was, there was like 3,000 people in the room, and an Amber Alert went off. It was, it was just like everybody. And, but, but people had their phones silenced, so whenever their phone, or they had them off. So when they turned their phone on, it would keep going for like half an hour. It just kept, the Amber Alert just kept going on. It was the funniest, funniest thing I've ever seen. Hey, um, here's what I wanted to say. Like, seriously. Uh, when it comes to finances and when it comes to sex, that's where the most pain is. The most real pain in real life, that's where it happens. And, and here's the deal. <clears throat> Would God be a good God if, if he knew that the one area of your life that had the most pain, like if he knew that area and he never addressed it, th- that's not a good God that, that wouldn't address the one area of your life that produces the most frustration, disappointment, conflict in your life. 
And the truth is, is he, he does provide good advice when it comes to relationships and sexuality. He really does. Um, it's an area that can produce the, great, the greatest joy in your life and also the greatest pain. I, I would say, like, does anybody have like, something where, like, for you, it's, it's like maybe a tool that's super good, like in its proper role, it's very helpful, very good, like great benefits from it. Truth is, you, it's also a little harmful. Oh, you actually, you actually, okay, perfect. Okay, he actually does. He actually did. Uh, you thought you were supposed to bring a Bible to church. We're bringing chainsaws, baby. Okay, here's what I want. I need the youngest person in the room. I need you to start this up. Uh, we got that. There we go. We got Lucas. Okay, anybody younger than? You, got, you ready? You ready, bud? Okay, I'm just going to ask Kirsten Boone because she's not accident prone at all. Like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Kirsten. <clears throat> but if it's going to if it's going to have an accident, it's, it's going to Lord bless you. Uh, Kirsten had been in our youth group for all of a couple months before they went on a camp out and she had an axe go between her toes. And she her parents now come to the church. I was like they're going to sue us, they're going to hate us. So here's the deal, like, this, this dude right here is great. If you don't have a chainsaw, men, you need a chainsaw. Yes. Every man needs a chainsaw. These things are amazing. I mean, I can, I can cut down firewood. I, like, I can make my own fuel to heat my house with this thing. I can clear roads with this thing. I can clear trails. with. I can make a cabin. If it came down to it, I can make a house with this. If I needed a window in my current house, I could make it. <laughs> but as good as... <laughs> come on, somebody. And as good as this thing is, the truth is, it is very dangerous. As, as beneficial as it is, as fun as it is, like in the wrong hands, somebody that didn't read a manual, somebody that didn't get around someone else that taught them how to use it properly, and you're going to lose a limb. You're going to lose a limb. And the same thing goes with human sexuality. I grew up in a church culture that, that, that was very much like, it's bad, stay away from it, it's dirty, yucky, ew. It's not bad. It's not dirty, it's not yucky, and it's not you. It's a beautiful gift from God, but when we don't operate, when we don't go to the user manual and operate it properly, it's incredibly damaging. Incredibly damaging. And so, this this next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about these things um, in church. You guys ready? Yeah. That's good. <clears throat> so this, um, I, I would just again say this is this is a message that. I, these eight weeks are are a series of messages that I, I would just say every. Young person needs to hear. That they don't need to get informed about sexuality from the locker room, from the playground, or from Instagram. They need to hear what the Word of God says about it, because the Word of God says it's beautiful, but it's also something that should not be awoken too soon. Um, what's interesting about this book of the Bible, Solomon, it's actually not called Song of Solomon. Uh, we, in our Bible, it says Song of Solomon, but in, in the actual book, it doesn't call it that. It calls it the Song of Songs, because Solomon wrote a lot of songs. And he's like, this one's the best one. 
you know where his mind was at, right? Like he's like, this is a great song. This is the best song of all the songs I wrote. Um, but typically when we talk about sex in, in the church, um, so around here we usually try to hit it uh, maybe every like three years or so. I, I make sure to bring it in. We're not going to talk about it all the time. That's weird. Uh, but we are going to address it because the most pain comes from this area. And um, typically when we talk about it, what we do is we, we talk to the, the married people in the room, and then we expect the singles to just figure it out. right? We, we do the same thing with um, uh, parenting. So we'll talk about how to parent, and then we just sort of expect people without kids to like, figure out how this applies to yourself. So the book of the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, flips that on its head. So the book is not written to married people. It is written to single people. It's written to single people, and it's about how to have healthy sexual relationships at, it, to single people that are, that are approaching a, a committed marriage. And, and even though it's written to single people, I think it is very much applicable to anyone in the room that's married. I'll say this. If you're single and you're in the room today, I'm just going to ask you for the next eight weeks, it's going to be that. It's going to be a long series. For the next eight weeks, don't miss. I, I really believe that this is the kind of series that will will help somebody in the room that's maybe single create framework for what a healthy relationship might look like, and it might help you make different decisions than you might make otherwise. If if you're a junior high or high school student in the room, I, I really believe that this series, this message will equip you to make some of the most important decisions of your entire life. And if you're married in the room, I would also say, don't miss, for the next eight weeks, don't miss, because I genuinely believe that the content of the book of the Song of Solomon is the very sort of stuff that can help a healthy marriage become better. It's the very stuff that can take a dysfunctional marriage heal it. So, so stick around as, as we jump into this. It's, it's for everyone today. Um, the, the, the book of Song of Solomon does not address modern temptations, certain modern temptations. It addresses the spirit behind them. The, 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 the scripture says there's no, no, no temptation that's like unique to you or I. Everybody's experienced them, but we do have some modern conveniences that make those temptations much more difficult, don't we? Everybody's silent. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and so we will address some of that in this series. Uh, in this series, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about some of those modern temptations. We're gonna have a whole week where my wife. Uh, we've been this this summer. We'll be married for twenty years. <laughs> and um, it just just like a, like a fine wine, girl. You just keep getting better. And. Um, Take advantage of every moment you have, guys. That's what I'm saying. Like, when you have an opportunity to say something like that, you say it. Pays dividends. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. Stupid. Okay. <laughs> She's going to get up and talk about how, uh, some tips for the long haul. Uh, how, how to, how to, some things to bring into your life, something mar into your marriage that will help you go the long haul. And uh, coming from the book of uh, the Song of Solomon. I'll also say this. There's uh, a QR code right up here on the screen. If you have questions about sexuality or relationships, um, put them in there, and I'm going to do my best to 
backfill them into the, the sermons for the next eight weeks, okay? If I get too many of them and I can't, and, and I can't backfill them or they're like super weird and I can't backfill them, then, then what I'll do is uh, we'll, we'll probably just throw a couple of them up online, just, uh, just a, a video on Instagram or something. <clears throat> okay, you good? For those of you that are in the room and you're like, okay, this is uh, just a bunch of old-fashioned garbage. We don't, we don't need the, the old-fashioned preacher talking about sex. Um, I just want to say that anytime I talk about these sorts of things, the two most common bits of feedback I get are, number one, I wish someone had told me this sooner. Every, without fail, I wish someone had told me this sooner. And then the second thing I hear quite frequently is, is it too late for me? And the answer is no, it's not too late. The answer is no. In fact, think of this series more of, as like a from this day forward type series. Like There may be things in the past that you can't change. But from this day forward, I can choose how I walk. This first book of the Song of Solomon, he, he, as, it, as it jumps into the book, it, it's going to talk about attraction between uh, two lovers. Um, in, in fact, this, this book, I'll just real quick kind of summarize. It's, it's a story. It's a love story. It's a song, a poem uh, between a man and a woman. Uh, it, it begins by them uh, meeting each other and becoming attracted to each other. Uh, it, it goes into um, one of them trying to score before they get married and the other one not allowing it, like this, this weird conflict that happens. Um, it talks about their marriage. It talks about their honeymoon night. It actually has two, um, two whole episodes of sexual encounters. Uh, that are very graphic, um, and this is a 3,000-year-old poem, but um, it, it's pretty graphic, because guess what? People, the same people, right? Very graphic. Uh, it talks about the fights that they have. Um, there's actually two chapters committed to fighting. Come on, somebody. You get, if you're going to get a marriage, you're going to get a relationship, you're going to fight. You better be good. <clears throat> and uh, it's definitely not churchy, so if you're thinking, like, this is going to be, like, weird Amishy churchy, no, not at all. Not at all. In fact, the, the metaphors used for the encounters are like fruit and animals. Not like with animals, but like describe is weird. Okay, never mind. Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> if you have a, if you need to respond to me and you need to write me an email, my email address is Clark <laughs> at the celebration church. Okay. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Jumping in. You guys ready? This is a great book of the Bible. Verse 1 says, this is Solomon's song of songs. He's saying, this is the best song I ever wrote. It's more wonderful than any other. He says, kiss me. Now, this is actually uh, her. This is the girl speaking. She says, she says, kiss me. Kiss me again. Your love is sweeter than wine. She's saying, I get intoxicated when I'm around you. The, the love I receive from you is intoxicating. This is something I actually pray for my own children, that they would find a mate in life whose love is sweeter than wine. Someone that they just get intoxicated with their presence, that when they're around them, it is the most just incredible person, so fulfilling, so completing, just in, in a deep, healthy way. That's, that's my prayer. And that's my prayer for you. If you're single and in the room, my prayer is that you would find someone 
whose love intoxicates you. If you're married, my prayer for you is that that intoxicating love would be renewed and restored and refreshed in your marriage. She goes on and she says, how pleasing is your fragrance? She's like, you don't stink. (laughs) You look good and you smell good. (laughs) (laughs) Application point number one for any junior hires in the room, wear deodorant. Wear deodorant and brush your teeth, okay? It helps. It'll help all of us, please. Just do it. Just, <laughs> please. Okay. She says, your name. Now watch this. She says, how pleasing is your fragrance. Then your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. She said, she, she says, your name is like fragrance of, like, scented oils. So they, they, this was a, a first century culture. So we're talking to, you know, this is actually not first century. This is 3,000 years old. So this is about 1,000 B.C. when this was written. She's saying, you know, like, like we, we don't, they don't have the same hygiene abilities that we have, like running water and all that. So what they would often do is use scented fragrances to make themselves smell better, to kind of mask certain odors, right? And she's saying, your name is like like that fragrance that just sort of lingers in the room. This week, my wife and I, she mentioned it, or she alluded to it, that we, we went to um, the Northern Bay Area this, this, um, this last week for two days. And while we were there, we went to the Vacaville Outlets. And the Lord, the Lord designed outlets because <laughs> you get the same stuff for cheaper, right? And, um, and we went into one that had, uh, had perfumes. And my wife is like, she's always going to have fun. So she's not like, she's not going to pick up the fragrance. She already knows what it smells like. Old, trusty, like that's not who she is. She's like, what does this one smell like? What does this one smell like? This one. Like she, she got like seven of them on one arm and five on the other arm. And she'd come up, she's like, which one smells the best? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just, it's too much. <clears throat> Get in the car and you're like, something smells good. That's what she's saying. She's saying, your, your name is like, like a fragrance that lingers in the room. I think it's interesting that she doesn't say your actual fragrance. She's saying your name is the thing that lingers about you. The thing that is attractive about you, it's actually not just the way you smell. It's not just the way you look. It's not the way you kiss. The thing that's really attractive about you is that your name is like a special fragrance that floats through the room. What is she saying? She's she's saying that the, the way you are, what your name represents is attractive. Let me say it this way. She's saying that the most attractive thing about him, the thing that really lingers in a room when he walks a room, is his character. It's that character, that part of you that is etched into the stone of your life when no one else is looking. That's the thing that lingers in the room when you walk into 
the room is the character that really matters. Like, like in this series, we're, we're going to get into all the fun sex stuff. We're, uh, there's going to be one whole series, it's like, or one whole sermon that's like a PG-13 series. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about sex, it's going to be graphic, we're going to have fun with it. But can I just tell you, let's kick this series off the way that the book of the Song of Songs talks about sexuality. Beginning with this, that the most attractive thing about him was his character. Before you ever get to the physical stuff, let's talk about character. Because ultimately, that's what matters more than anything else. Character can be described as that part of you that's etched into, uh, into your life. It, it could be like some of, some, some of the older people might remember vinyl records. Vinyl records. The way they got the sound on a vinyl record was somebody like etched a line into the record... And, and then when you'd play back that record, you would only get what was etched into the vinyl. So if they played Beach Boys, they never got Elvis. If you're in, in my generation, we didn't have records. We had CDs. Anybody remember CD? Okay, CDs were these, these, uh, they're, they're these circular discs with a mirror on one side. And you could like, if you're a girl, you do your makeup in the car. From a CD, and, and, but but you could play this. You put it in the thing, and it would like it, it would it would start playing what was ever on that CD. So if if you put Pearl Jam in the CD player, it wasn't gonna play Nirvana. It was gonna play Pearl Jam. That's what character is. Character is the bit that is already etched that doesn't change. It can change, but it's that it's gonna play whatever it's etched already. It's going to, whatever it's been designed to do, that's what it's going to reproduce. And I'm just telling you that the most attractive thing she sees in Solomon is not his money. It's not, it's not his, his body. It's his, it's his character. She said, your character, like your name, when somebody speaks of your name, it comes with such a fragrance that, that it fills the room. Like that's character. It, it, ultimately, it fills, it fills the room. You ever sat next to a teenager that's covered in an axe? <laughs> Anybody sitting by one right now? She says, your character is like, like a fragrance that fills the room. It's, it's who they are when you're not seeing them. What, it's not what does she look like, what, you know, how fine is she. It's what is her character. What is she like when you're not around her? It's not how, how funny he is and how good he is at work in a crowd. and how every, no, it's, it's what is he like when no one else knows what he's doing with his phone. Uh. Character. Because the truth is, we married people know something. We married people know that beauty fades. And ugly gets uglier. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, but beauty, beauty fades. You know what I mean? Like gravity, ultimately, gravity, gravity has its way with all of us, right? Like at some, at some point, I don't care how, how, how you're going you're gonna to experience gravity. I'll leave it at that. I'm just like digging myself a hole. 
But beauty, beauty ultimately fades. And so, so the real question is this. If beauty comes and goes, if beauty fades and money comes and goes, what's the one thing that lasts? It's character. It's who they are when you're not around them that is the, the actual attractant to somebody. And the biggest problem is this. In the Christian world, in the church world, the number one reason we get married is to have sex. Because we believe that we're not supposed to have sex until marriage, which is true. But because of that, our primary motivation for sex, or for marriage, then becomes sex. And so we marry people based on what we think we're going to get sexually and not the character that's behind the person. Because when you become married, you don't make love to a body, you make love to a memory. What I mean by that is this, is that when you're married, you're living life with somebody, and you're making love to that person, you're, you're, you're making love to a memory of how he talked to you this week, of how she did or didn't show you respect in front of your friends this week, of how he did or didn't spend too much money on a video game this week. It's a memory. It's about more than a physical body. It becomes about the essence of who they are. And that, my friend, my name is Roger. I'm your friend. That is character we're talking about. That's, that's character. And somebody might tell me, like, no, I think, I think, like, makeup sex is the best thing. No, let me just tell you, like, not having to make up sex is the best. When there's no animosity, that's a lot better. Because we make love to a memory. Let me say it like this. The only thing worse than being single and lonely is being married to the wrong person and lonely. So my hope for you is that you would find the right one. My, my hope for you is that you would find the right one. And I don't believe that there's some perfect right one out there in in the sky somewhere. I believe love is a choice. We choose to love someone. But I choose that you choose, the. I, I pray that you choose the right one. I pray this over my daughter. I pray this over both of my boys. And I pray this over your kids. That they find the right one. Because there's nothing more fulfilling in life than knowing I'm running the race of life with the right person. Come on. That's a married man right there. He knows what's up. Come on, brother. <clears throat> you got to find the right one. Here's, here's what Tommy Nelson says. He says this. When you get married, you're gambling a huge chunk of your, emotion, uh, of your emotional peace on if you're wise enough to choose a person of character. Because marriage is putting a gun to your head. Putting your spouse's finger on the trigger and trusting they won't pull it. I'm just saying, like, the, the greatest joy you will ever experience comes through this same relationship, and the greatest pain you might ever experience comes through this same relationship. Let's look for character, not just someone that's fine. The truth is most dating apps, and I'm, I'm pro-dating app. We've got a lot of families or marriages in this church that, that they discovered each other on dating apps. But let's just be honest. Dating apps are really, for the most part, sex apps. Don't say that. Well, I'm just saying, like, like, you can't find someone's character by just seeing their profile picture 
and like like a little a little post about what they like. And and I know that there are people in here who have have had very positive experiences there. I'm not speaking against it. I'm just saying I have a really good idea for any app developers that are in the room. Can we create an app where you can find another person to date or marry, but you never see their picture until you already love them? It's, it's a terrible idea. It's also, it's also a terrible idea. But, but I do think like the essence of it's a great idea, right? Like if you could get to, know, to actually know somebody, because I don't care how, how pretty she is, pretty doesn't make up for everything. I don't care how handsome he is. Handsome doesn't make up for everything. Don't be so agreeing. She's like, ah, man, he's the word. That's my wife. And so my hope for you is that you would find the right ones. That you find, not the ones, find the right one. You know how hard it is, like, yeah, getting in front of people and you just, like, constantly, constantly say the wrong things. Like, I don't know, I always say the wrong stuff. Anyway, but the truth is this, is that after 20 years of marriage with my wife, I've discovered that what makes someone beautiful isn't how they look when you see them. It's how they act when you don't see them. Like predictable is really hot. <laughs> so I want you to find the right one. He goes on and it says this, <clears throat> verse 4. Now, now this is not the, the female lover. This is now other women of the city of Jerusalem speaking about their relationship. They say, it says, the young women of Jerusalem. How happy are we? Or how, how happy we are for you. O king, we praise your love even more than wine. And then the girl responds, the young woman responds, how right they are to adore you. So it's this group of girls that sees their relationship and they're like, selfie, they're like, you know, relationship goals. Oh my goodness, how happy we are for you. Uh, if it doesn't work out, like think about me. Okay, that's, that's what they're doing. And she's like, they're right. They're, they're right. You are, you're pretty awesome. <clears throat> so, girls, this is for the girls, women, wh- whatever. The, the way you find the right one is you, is you got to learn how to discern his character. And, and the way to discern his character is in this verse. It's through other people. Young, single woman, old, single woman, the way you discern his character is through other people because you are designed to be infatuated with this person. A chemical response in your body that makes you blind to their flaws. That's on purpose. It's God's design so that you would love an imperfect person. But if you want to be able to see his character, you probably will not see it yourself. You've got to get him around other people that you love and that care about you so that they can check his character. Because guess what? They ain't infatuated with nothing. 
That's what you need. You, you, like, this is a huge red flag. Like, if, if you've got a friend that's dating somebody, and not just one date, but they're, like, actually dating, and, but they never bring them around the friend group, they never bring them around the parents, big red flag. What they're saying is, you're not going to like him, I'm going to stay away. That's not good. What you got to have is people in your life that will tell you the truth. And so for, for the young women in the room, I would just tell you this, like, you've got to pay attention to what song his life is playing. What is, what is the record of his life actually playing? Is it Beach Boys or is it Elvis? Like, what, what is it playing? Like, like is, is, he, is he showing a life of work ethic? Is he playing a life of, like, you having to beg him to read his Bible? Is he a generous person? Is he treating you with purity? What, what is his name? What's it smell like? And so with that in mind, what I would say is if you are a woman in this room that wants to be in a relationship, here's my advice for now. My advice for now is instead of trying to find the person you will date or one day marry, what you really need to do is establish some mentors in your life. I'm saying you need to get close to maybe potentially family members. It could be uh, other people in your life, friends. More importantly, you need mentors, male mentors in your life that can see his character. Because I'm telling you, if you want to see a young man's character, put him next to a dude with authority in his life and age. You, you put him next to a man that is confident and has authority in his life, and that young guy's character will come out. And the old guy don't care. He's not impressed with him. He's going to be able to tell you if he likes him or if he doesn't like him. Young women, get those relationships established now so that when you're looking at the handsome guy over here tomorrow, you've got someone in your life that can give you some good counsel. Ah, I'm in the word. Because the Bible is very clear that a person without counsel is a fool. It's a fool. So how do you discern his character? You discern his character by, by letting other people see it. It goes on and it says this in verse 5. It says, so she's actually responding with uh, a little bit of insecurity. And this is what's so crazy to me about women. Like you can have the ugliest dude in the world. You know what I mean? Like ugly just nothing, you know, just snaggly tooth, overweight. He looks in the mirror in the morning and he's like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> and you get the finest girl and you put her in front of a mirror and she's like, Ugh. and that's what's happening. It, it, it doesn't, I don't get it. She says, I am dark but beautiful. She's talking to the other girls. Oh, women of Jerusalem. Dark. I'm dark as the tents of Kadar. I'm dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. So what is this? Is this a racial thing? Is that what's going on? No, it's not. What it is is a cultural thing. What's going on is in their culture, this is 1000 BC, being very fair-skinned in this particular region of the world would indicate that you spent most of your life indoors. You spent most of your life in leisure, under tents, under the shade, having people help you stay shaded. If you were not just tan, but dark tan, that meant you worked outside. It's the exact opposite of today's culture. 
right? I mean, it's the total opposite. Today, like if you've got a dark, even tan, that's a sign that you got lots of leisure and money to go to Cabo. <laughs> and if you're super pale skin, it means you're working real hard behind a computer screen programming somewhere. Like you don't got tan, but you got lots of money, you know? And, and that's what's going on. It's just a cultural reference here to the fact that she works manual labor. That's what's going on. <clears throat> so she's embarrassed. Her insecurities are popping up. She says this, Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. In, in this culture, what would happen is the dad would rule the home. The dad sort of dictated what happened in the home. And when the father was gone, whether killed in war or died through disease, the brothers would lead the house. So what has happened is these brothers have had their sister go into the fields, literal vineyards, and she's working fields. And what she's telling them is, I have worked hard for my family, but in doing that, I haven't been able to take care of my skin that has now become like, like calloused and, and, and dark, from like, you know, like that leathery, I don't have that because I worked so hard. That's what she's saying. So men, the way you can discern her character is in this verse. The way you discern her character is this. Is she humble? Is she willing to roll up her sleeves and work when it needs to get done? Or is she just looking for a sugar daddy that will take care of her? Is she the kind of girl that, that has the kind of integrity and work ethic and humility to stand up when th stuff needs to happen? This is when the Bible, when it talks about a Proverbs 31 woman, what it's talking about is a woman that, that, that has some ambition, like some, some humility coupled with ambition. Is she humble? Did she fight her brothers about it or did she just go ahead and get the job done? It goes on, it says in verse 7, Tell me, my love, this is her speaking to him, tell me, my love, where you are leading your flock today. Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? So she's asking him, where, where, which specific field are you putting your sheep in? Because in this day, there were women that were called veiled women. They wore veils over their face. And they would go out to the shepherd's fields during the heat of day when the shepherds would get under their tents and they would sell their wares. And what she's saying here, she's drawing a very clear boundary. She's saying, I'm not going from tent to tent looking for you. I, I'm not a veiled woman. I'm not going to go wander and chase after you. I have more character than that. So men, the way you would discern her character is, is she humble? And the second question I would ask is this. Is, is she the person that won't compromise? Man, you want a woman that does not compromise who she is for you. Young men, you want a girl, don't, don't buy into Instagram. You want a girl that will not compromise for the you you are now, but she wants you to become better. 
You, you want someone that says, I am not like a veil. I am, I am not one of these girls. I'm not going to show you as skin as I can until you finally convince me. No, she won't compromise. Because the ultimate truth is this. Is that when things get hard in marriage, men, you want someone who is humble and will be ride or die and won't compromise. That's what you want. You, you don't want someone that's just so consumed with their image online that they're just like just so worried about constantly like trying to get affirmation from the world around them. You, 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 you want someone that knows how to control their own spending. You, you, you want someone that gets their confidence from Christ, not what other people say about them. You, you want someone that will not talk about other people behind their back. So here's how this works. The, the way we find someone of character is we, we look for them in the right places. Like what we don't do, we don't, go, we don't go to a bar trying to find the right girl. Not because she's not there. Like, like, you, like I just can't find the right one. It's, it's not that she's not there. The problem is that you're there. The person you're looking for isn't there because you're, you're there. What, what do I mean? What I mean is the way we find the right person is we, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we start running towards him. We say, God, I just want like your purpose in my life. I want, I want to know where you want me to go. I want to find freedom in you. I want my life to make a difference for you. Like I want to, I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as I'm running towards God, the Bible says that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. And so what we do is we're running after Jesus, and as we're running after Jesus, you look over and you're like, oh, she's really pretty. But guess what? I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm going to keep running after Jesus, and after six months, you look over and you're like, oh, she's still there, and she's fine. But that's fine. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And you're running over, and she, the whole time, you don't even know it, but the whole time, she's running. She's like, oh, my goodness, I just wish she would look over here. But I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm keeping my eyes on And then one day, you're going to like be running and look over, and you're like, hey, here's the deal. You run, I run. Why don't we run together? I'm just telling you, if you'll chase after the things of God and you just pursue him, I promise you, one day you're going to look over and you're going to be like, oh, there they are running right beside me. I don't need to compromise. I don't need to change my lifestyle for them. I can find a godly man or woman if I just keep pursuing God. Because let me tell you this, church. I've counseled a lot of couples. Some of you are like, yeah, you young. I may be young to half of you, but I'm old to the rest of you. <laughs> and I've never heard a couple tell me my biggest mistake is that we, we just went too slow. That's the, the biggest mistake is we went too slow. Never heard it. But I can tell you time after time after time when someone said, we went way too fast. So I'm just telling somebody today, slow down. Some single person in the room, slow down. Take a cold shower, people. <laughs> slow down. This is, this is literally the biggest decision of your life. I don't know if it's the biggest decision of my life. Like I think, No, I mean, think about your parents and the stuff you've watched your parents go through and how it has affected you. The biggest decision of your life has everything to do with this. Make that decision slowly, carefully. 
Slow down. Let him deal with his issues before you, before you lock it in. Let her grow up first. Let him get a hold of managing his finances before you decide to make his finances your finances. I should have got a good amen on that one. So my hope for you is that you would find the right one. That you would find the right one. Men, I would memorize this verse. Proverbs 31.30. I don't have it on the screens, but here's what it says. Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Women, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. It's not on the screen. Proverbs 19.22. It says loyalty. Other translations actually say kindness. It, loyalty makes a person attractive. It is better to be poor than dishonest. Come on. You, you need to find someone that's got this kind loyalty in their life. Here's what it says. Proverbs 22.1. It says a good name... First ever somebody was like, please stop. <laughs> a good name. A good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And so for my hope for you is that you'd find the right person. But here's the deal. There's not much in the Bible about finding the right person. In fact, I'd say this, finding the right person is not even biblical. It is my hope for you, but it's not biblical. The Bible has nothing to say about finding the right person. It has a lot to say about becoming the right person. My hope is that you'd find the right person, but the only way you're going to find the right person is when you choose to become the right person. You can't change someone else's character. You can only change your own character. I hear people say this sort of thing all the time. Preacher, men are all the same. Men all just want one thing. My question is, what are you fishing with? Because you get what you put the bait on there for. The question isn't what kind of fish are you catching. The question is what kind of bait are you using? <laughs> As a band would come. This is a true story. happened at a, uh, at a friend of mine's sister's church on the East Coast. There was a young girl who had been, she grew up in church, living for God. And as a young kid, she loved the Lord. But somewhere along in her high school years, she began to stray. Just life. I mean, pe people sometimes walk away from God. It happens. She did, and she started getting caught up with a crowd that just kind of, got her eyes in a different direction, got into the party scene, got into like a, the whole, a whole different world. 
She ended up going to college. And at this point, she was far from God. She was at a party one night at university, and as she's there, this really hot guy walked in, good-looking guy. And she's like, I, I, I call dibs, right? Dibs. And so she, she goes over to him and starts talking to him. And as she's talking to him, they, like, hit it off really well. Supernatural. He's funny. They're laughing. They're having a good time. And they, like, it, it was this great time. And he, he starts, like, sharing his faith with her. She's just like, oh, this is, that's how I grew up. Like, oh, I love that about you. Like, it, he's just like, and it wasn't, like, shoving his faith down, down her throat. He was just, like, super confident and, like, respectful about his faith and, like, sharing it with her. She loved it. It's like, this is what I, this reminds me of, like, what I've always wanted. I've always wanted, like, a guy that, this is a priority to him. So as a typical college student, that weekend she went home to go do laundry. And as she's folding laundry with her mom, she begins to tell her mom this story. Mom, I, uh, I met a guy this week, and I, I like him. Met at this party, and we're talking. Mom, he's just like you and Dad. Like he, he's talking about like his faith and about Jesus. It was just—it was absolutely incredible. He's just—he's just like what we grew up with. And I'm so attracted. Like I—I I want that kind of a guy. And her mom took a huge risk. And her mom said. That kind of guy doesn't want you. And some of you are like, does it, like, is there a slap? Like, no. Her mom, in the right timing, I'm not saying say that to your kids. In this story, it worked. She said, that kind of guy isn't looking for you. She said, honey, he wasn't flirting with you. He was witnessing to you. He was telling you about Jesus because... He could tell you're far from Jesus. Like you can, you can get a guy like that one day, but he's not looking for this. True story. The girl falls down on the, gr- on the ground and starts crying, not because her mom had hurt her feelings, but because she recognized her mom was right. She wanted a healthy, godly man in her life. And she recognized she had just kind of like... Be- become the party person who wasn't going to attract that. Had a real come to Jesus moment, turned her life around, and is doing great things for God now. I just want to tell you this. Let's be the kind of people that become the right person. We become the right one. Because ultimately, at some point, marriage does get hard. And what matters most is who you are. Preacher, she needs to change. I believe she needs to change. I trust you. She's probably as crazy as you say. But you can't change someone else's character. You can only change your own character. So let's become the right one. Instead of asking them to become the right one. Is that okay? Would you stand with me all across the room? Lord Jesus, I pray for every marriage that's in this room right now. God, the the marriages that are going through frustrations or difficulties, a little dysfunction in this moment. 
I pray that every husband in that situation and every wife in that situation makes a commitment to you right now to become the right one. Not to demand change, but to come as the right one, to become the right one. Lord, I pray for those that have walked through divorce that are in the room. They're wondering if they're ever going to find love again. Lord, I pray that rather than chasing down trails and compromising, I pray that there would be a commitment to become the right one. To become the man of God or the woman of God that you've called them to be. That you'd bring love into their life. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room. God, that we would be committed to character. We would be committed to a name that is like perfume that fills a room. That you'd give us wisdom to discern good character. And you would put allies and mentors in our life that help us spot when something's off. Give us confidence to stand in that. In Jesus' name. Jesus. I know I went long. Uh, sometimes a preacher's got to preach. Um, here's, here's the last thing I'm going to say. Is that if for you, you're like, yeah, I need to become the right person. Listen, salvation is a free gift of God. Free gift. It's between you and him. You've got nothing to do with me or anyone else in the room. Everything to do with Jesus. Freedom, however... Like the thing that forms, like the area of your life where you've got that secret sin you're hiding that you really, like you're, as I'm talking, you're like, that's the character piece I really need to address. That thing stays the same. If you think you're going to walk out of the room and say, I'm just going to be a better dude. Not going to happen. If you're, if you're going to walk out of the room and you're, you're thinking, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to stop gossiping. That's not going to happen. The way freedom from those things happens is through the people of God. This, the scripture says it like this. It says that you, you've got to confess your faults one to another. So I'm telling you, if you're here today and you're like, I do need my character. I need to work on my character. The way you do that isn't in a worship service. And it's not alone in a prayer room, although those are both healthy things to do. The way you do that is you get in a small group. And you can be throwing a disc golf, you can be quilting a quilt, but somewhere along the lines there's going to be trust, enough trust built up that a conversation can be had. This is the way Jesus discipled, is through relationship. Trust is going to be developed, and when trust is developed, you're going to say, hey, I've got an anger problem, and, and it, it's, I don't know how to deal with it. And there's going to be conversation and someone that can hold you accountable. Church, don't sell yourself short and just have good intentions. You've got to get people in your life if you want freedom. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world. 